Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Maybe that's why Bluehost has been recommended by WordPress.org since 2005. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com wondersuite. That's bluehost.com wondersuite. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the I Am CS podcast. This is the podcast to showcase computer science in action with conversations with experts in the field, teachers, and students. I'm your host, Dr. Sharon Jones, an avid computer scientist, an educator, and someone who is excited to talk to experts on how they're implementing computer science in the real world. So let's bite in. Today, I have the great privilege of having an expert with us who is going to talk and share her insights and information all about how to we speak computer science and science. Dr. Karen Corbin is with me, who is an expert in, listen to this everyone, human nutrition, metabolism, and after many years of sharing uh, or traveling the world all about healthcare, she realized there was a gap in being able to express all the things that are happening in science. She's an expert in health, and she thought this is not as easy to express. And so we need to have a conversation so that everyone can understand what's happening in the world of healthcare and also what's happening with people in everyday life. So she started a company called Geeks That Speak. And today she's gonna to talk to us a little bit about the importance of why we are studying science, computer science, mathematics, and then why it's important to be able to take what we're studying and share that with others. So Karen, welcome to the show and thank you so much for being here. Yes, thank you so much for having me, Sharon. It's a pleasure. So tell us a little bit about your background in healthcare and what did you earn your doctoral degree in? Sure. So I started my career in healthcare as a registered dietitian, and that's when I learned really early on how difficult it is to make sure everybody's speaking each other's language because nutrition is one of those things that everybody thinks they're an expert in. And uh, the science and the opinion are often not the same thing. And once I realized that gap, I decided to get my PhD in molecular medicine, because I figured out that there was a lot we still didn't understand about nutrition, and that I needed more education at the molecular level of what's happening 
to maybe help start to make that science make sense and communicate it. And from there, you know, after starting out as a little shy girl from Puerto Rico who preferred to be in the background and quiet and not say a word, uh, I realized how important communication is to getting very technical fields out into the hands of the public. And I went from hating talking to people and in front of people to loving it and then decided that I could help others. So that's why I started Geeks That Speak. Could you talk a little bit more about what you mean by molecular Yes, that's that's a good question. It's going to put me to the test. So when we think about nutrition, we're usually thinking at it sort of at a whole person level, right? You eat food and something happens. You gain weight, let's say, or you lose weight because you didn't eat something. And what I try to understand is how does that happening? How does, let's say one person can eat whatever they want and they maintain their weight. And one person just looks at a cookie and they gain 10 pounds. Amen. What are, (laughs) yes, we're all there, right? What are the cells saying to each other? What signals are they sending? How are they communicating? Where are the roadblocks? You know, why is it that one person gained weight so easily? Why another one doesn't? That's all happening within ourselves, partially at the DNA level, partially at the gene expression level, partially at the protein level and partially at the metabolite level. So I decided I needed to get in there and really get at the mechanics of how nutrition is interacting within our body at all those levels, because that's how we're going to understand what makes us different. You know, on the one hand, genetically, we're 99.9% alike in our DNA sequence globally across the whole planet. But even within that point, one or 0.9% that were different, that's enough to make me and you look completely different, sound completely different, behave completely different. So that tells you there's a lot more than the DNA at those molecular signal interfaces. So I just decided, uh, you know, I always asked why when I was a kid, how does this work? Mm -hmm. And why is this happening? That's what I figured out that I have to understand the why behind it to be able to say, okay, this person should eat this way. And this person should eat this way. I did not know that, that we are 99% alike and that 1% causes that much difference between me honestly looking at at a cookie and gaining weight and someone else not, or even just thinking about the makeup of what it, of how I have gained or lost weight over the years. That is really fascinating. Yeah. And that kind of, you know, it it revealed a lot when the human genome was sequenced back in around 2003, that, that, you know, you can have different color hair, different eyes, all this stuff. And that's all controlled by a very small percent of just the DNA sequence. And then on top of that, a lot of other mechanisms come in that alter how that DNA expresses itself into a specific trait. And so those are the things that really give, give us that uniqueness that, uh, that sort of make us realize that one diet does not fit all, one medicine does not fit all, one treatment does not fit all, because we're just, we have those subtle differences that affect our response. So as you're doing your research, are there some token technologies that you use to help you analyze the information that you're researching on a regular basis? Yeah, so I think the technologies come in two domains. The first one is the phenotype part, the part where we characterize what's 
what a human is all about. And we use a whole lot of different techniques. And I say that my day job is science and my, you know, my night job or my side hustle is the mm-hmm. scientific communication. So sure. in my job as an actual scientist, we use uh, a lot of different phenotyping tools to measure things in blood, or we have a tool called a whole a whole room calorimeter, which we can put people in this little room and measure exactly how many calories they're burning every minute and whether they're burning fat or carbohydrate. So we have all the um, in-depth ways of characterizing metabolism in every person in our studies. And then from there goes into the realm that um, I only know peripherally, and then I have very smart math experts to help me with. And that's the bioinformatics, the statistics, all the models that have to come together to take what we measure and make sense of it as individual pieces of data and also those pieces of data, how they impact each other. So those are the two um, basic domains where we um, are able to study metabolism and understand differences between people. Have you seen the technology change over time? Like you were mentioning, you have a whole room caliber like where people can stand and you're able to measure that. Has that happened within your time as a scientist or has that been around for some time? You know, sometimes I think we don't even realize how far technology has come even within the past 20 years because we're not always interacting with it every day. Yeah, so that's a really good question. If we talk about um, calorimetry itself, which that's the an indirect way of measuring oxygen and carbon dioxide. And from there you get calories with math, right? So the concept of that is probably hundreds of years old. um, And there's a great review about that, that I should send you where they actually go through the history of all of it. So the, the idea has been there, but these calorimeters that are, they're rooms that people actually live in. Like you sleep there, you go to the bathroom there, you eat there, you live there for 23 hours at a time, sometimes strung together into six days. I would say, you know, the more modern ones, probably just a few decades or so in in our history, which is like, you know, the blink of an eye, basically. So it has come a long way. Certainly when I was a dietitian in the clinic, that was in the late 90s. And At that point, we didn't have computers in our hands called smartphones. So the direction Mm -hmm. of the information was from me to my patients for the most part, although they might walk in with this thing called the book, you know, if people still remember (laughs) what those are, Yes. you know, the latest, the zone diet or the Atkins diet or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, And those were the misinformation concepts that I had to work with, but that was very small. But just in my 23 years of my career, now, when I talk to people, whether they're patients in the past or research participants today, they're coming with a ton of information in their hand that they have researched on their own. And um, so that in and of itself has been a paradigm shift just in my lifetime. And in my career, we've seen just the start of the human genome project and the sequencing in 2003 to today, where we know many more layers above that than we knew. So for me, I've seen massive changes in technology and science and math and bioinformatics and statistics 
just in my relatively short time on the planet. So I suspect the students that um, your listeners are working with, they're going to see even more. I mean, it's, it's just amazing. And that's why we have to be nimble and be educated and be able to learn and talk to each other because things are changing all the time. That's sort of the basis of science, right? Science isn't, we have an answer. Science is, we are looking for answers. And as we learn more, we change our mind about things because we're learning. So that's where communication is so important. Yeah, I want to dive into the communication piece in just a minute, but you were talking a little bit about being nimble and the that science is all about asking questions and trying to figure out solutions. And at the heart of computer science is in the word science. And when we think about the discipline as a whole, it's so similar to what you're doing in terms of researching molecules and understanding calories and the mathematics behind it. That's very similar to what's happening when we are trying to innovate and advance technology in computer science because you had a need. You wanted to be able to look at DNA or you want to be able to get a better understanding of people's caloric intake because of that little one percent that you know there's a difference between you and myself and and a, a child versus an adult and i find those similarities really exciting because much of what we're teaching the students through the computer science standards is to think about things through infrastructure the building of those technological devices, the data that's driving that. And that's one thing I wanted to mention because I really liked what you said that you do a lot of the research and then you have mathematicians and really computer scientists that are are data analysts helping you take that information that you've collected and make make some sense of it. And that you aren't necessarily the expert in that, but you know how to work and communicate with them in order to get the answers you need. Yeah, and that's a really good point because in the technology disciplines, you have science, you have engineering, you have math, you have computer science, have technology. Those are all very technical fields with slightly different languages in certain ways. So a lot of times when I'm talking to a statistician, they think very differently and they may use slightly different words that I do. So it might take a few iterations of back and forth to get ourselves, you know, on the same page and really understand the goal. So I really think that communication is is an art that should be at the very top of the technology curriculum. Because if we're not understanding each other, you're sending the computer scientists, they're going down one rabbit hole, and that's not where you were trying to go. And they spent a lot of time and energy, maybe not getting you um, the answer you were looking for, or, or not going down the the pathway that you're looking for. So, you know, I saw that the most when I was a a bench scientist, you know, with pipettes and cells and stuff like that, and trying to talk to medical scientists, boy, sometimes we'd be saying the same thing, but not understanding each other at all. So that was really my motivation to, to do what I could to help others figure out how to effectively take something very complicated and explain it in a clear way. And I think we can't ignore the fact that we've been living um, the past 18 months in a scenario where there's been a ton of medical and health information coming out that has been confusing, that has been twisted, that has been misunderstood and misrepresented. And that took me from knowing that communication is important to knowing that communication is essential for our very survival and that we, from this point forward, need to make sure that the voices of the people that are 
in the field, you know, getting the data, the computer scientists getting all that tracking data on, you know, incidents and death rates, we all need to have our voices elevated to the point where we are uh, driving the narrative and drowning out the noise of those who take that wonderful computer science data and twist it around and turn it into a whole different picture of what the data is really saying. So I, I think it's a must and it's, it's essential, you know, on so many levels for our society moving forward. I agree. And I like what you mentioned about at the top of the curriculums is communication. I've had this conversation quite a bit over the past year about really thinking, I, and I say this a lot, if you can write a good sentence in English, you can write a line of code. Because no matter what we're doing, we are communicating in some capacity, either if it's with a computer, if we're doing a scientific experiment, if we're creating a mathematical equation, that's all communication in some art and in some form, if we're drawing a picture, whatever that looks like, whatever that communication ends up being, we are taking something from our head and putting it out into a written or visual context that has meaning. So talk to me a little bit about Geeks That Speak and how you have been able to find your niche in helping those that, of us that are very technical be able to express ourselves so that others can understand our work. Is there a coaching piece of that? Like, how are you helping people navigate? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I started by honing my own craft. You know, I didn't go to communication school. I went to science school. So I spent a lot of years practicing, going to different coaching programs, watching a lot of speakers and just learning on my own. You can really train yourself quite a bit and, and then decided that there's certain elements of communication that help take, like you just said, any medium of communication especially in a technical field is very complicated. But at the end of the day, you have to be able to put it in plain English. And the way that you do that is because mm -hmm. you understand it so well that you can break it down. You should be able to tell your grandma about your code and maybe not in the same level of detail, but enough so she understands the big picture of what you're doing. So I, I created some content that I deliver in um, training sessions for groups or smaller workshops to help people break down the key elements of how do you take your very complex data, whether it's computer science or biological science, and how do you tell a compelling story with it? And people, you know, sometimes look at me a little twisted, like what? There's no stories in science or computer science. It's facts, it's numbers, it's no stories. But what they don't realize is that story structure is simply a way of communicating things in a logical progression that weave together in a way that people can understand it. So it's not about making stuff up like in Hollywood. It's simply about describing things in a way where people can understand it and connect with it. So, so that's really all I do is whenever somebody finds me and they ask for help, then, they, then I um, teach them my curriculum. And sometimes I work with people if they have a presentation coming up and they need some specific advice about how to take that data and communicate it. And, you know, there's a lot of awesome communications coaches out there. I've worked with some of them myself. And what I bring to the table is that I know science and data. So I can help someone and say, okay, well, this graph, it could make more sense if you did this in the x-axis and this in the y-axis and you explained this part of the technique. So that's really the thing that makes me different, I think, is that I know, I don't know everything about science, but I know 
enough about science to help someone present their data in a way that's more compelling and more interesting. You don't want to bore people. If you bore people, they're just going to tune you out and scroll on their social media feed. And mm-hmm. then you may have well have spoken in an empty room. What's the point of speaking? So, so it does make sense to spend the time to do what you can to really connect with your audience and make it meaningful and make it educational. People should feel like, wow, I gave you an hour of my time and I came out of there and I learned something other than, oh boy, I just listened to this person for an hour and I have no idea what they said and I fell asleep and then they wish they could get that hour back. So that's pretty much what I train people to do. You mentioned something that's really deep for me, and that's the the art of storytelling. And you mentioned that sometimes people don't see the story in science or the story in data or the story in what the the art of creating a technological device that people are going to use. Everything is rooted in story. And it is a series of sequences of events, of things that have happened. And no matter how we want to slice it, we like a beginning, middle, and end. We want a beginning, a climax, and an end. And you want to walk away with something that has changed the way you think. And I love that you mentioned that and keeping your audience engaged with content that is relevant for them and makes sense. And then what's what I always think to myself is if I can engage them and they have a sense of understanding of what I'm saying, then it may pique their interest to take a step further into learning more. That's the key right there is for us as computer scientists, right, regular scientists, technical people, you know, for us to have the maximum value for our work as far as making a difference. And that's really important to me. Like I'm in science to make a difference. The only way you do that is if you communicate a way in a way that inspires action, whether it's action to collaborate with you, whether it's action to learn more, as you just said, whether it's action to donate money so that you can do the work because we all know that none of this happens without the funding to do the work. So all of those things are intangible benefits that you gain when people feel like you've put in enough time to care about them and what they should be learning. And you've spoken in a way that they can understand you and follow you that's what's going to inspire them to say, boy, this was really interesting. And I really appreciate that this person did this for me. And that in and of itself will give them a much better experience and lead to furthering of the movement, furthering of the new uh, computer science tool or technology or whatever it is that you're passionate about. Those things move further if you can connect with people both in your field and similar fields and even with the lay public, because you know what? Ideas can come from anywhere. There's so many smart people out there. They don't have to be computer scientists. They could be sitting in the room and you say something and it says, oh, you know what? I have this technology on my shelf that I didn't know what to use it for. I could use it for this, but I hadn't thought about that. So you want to get people thinking and and learning. And that's how we move what we do forward. Oh my gosh. I'm, my hands are like in the air, raising the roof. And I can't, I'm trying to, to explain to everybody. It's just so exciting because that's exactly the way I feel because sometimes as a scientist or I myself as a computer scientist and an educator, it can seem overwhelming when you start dropping words like molecular or chemistry or chloric, or for me to say things like, let's dive into Python, or let's take a look at this data structure or understanding the visualization 
information. But one little piece at a time can spark an interest and make a change. And at the heart of what these computer science standards are doing for us is to open the door for students to see maybe a little niblet of something they could be interested in. You know, and we need individuals like yourself and or, or people that are project managers or, or that um, can understand how to talk between the business and the technical side. That's a really important role in the world of, of innovation, science, computer science, mathematics, even literature. So I think that's a really uh, wonderful piece about what you're sharing and about how you found that. Uh, so may I ask, I would say how you found that that niche within your work, but could you maybe give like one or two tips that you would share that are great things to keep in mind anytime you're wanting to communicate? Yeah, so I think the very first thing or that I see in talks that don't go so well is that they become data dumps graph after graph, lines of code after lines of code. And it's just too much information, no beginning, middle or end, no transitions in between. And most people are going to get lost in that unless maybe they're, you know, absolute key opinion leaders in your field, and they already know everything. So you can take them in circles, and they'll keep up with you. But for the rest of them, they need a little more structure. So Moving away from that and figuring out what are the key concepts you want to convey and what are the critical pieces of data or information that support those points. And don't go much beyond that because you only have so much time and people don't remember everything you say. So you want less is more. So organize and less is more. And then the other thing, you know, the first question I ask in my um, in my classes is, what do you think about first when you're asked to give a presentation? Is it your data, your slides, or your audience? And in my opinion, the answer is the audience, because you want to know who's in the room, what would they benefit from learning, so that you can take your story and make it as applicable to them and as uh educational to them as possible. So those two things will take, you just take what you already have that you normally do and apply it to your audience and make sure that it's not just data, data, data. I did this, I did this, I did this. First, I started, here's the question we asked. And here's why we asked it. And here's how we answered it. And here's yep. what it means. And because yep. we learned this, now the next question we needed to ask is this. And weave everything together. Those two simple steps will take uh, what could be a pretty dreadful event to something that's at least uh, several notches up. And with more practice, everybody can go from dreadful to rock star. That's my goal, to turn geeks into rock stars. <laughs> I love it because I would say hashtag geeks are rock stars. We just don't always know it. And I, I love that piece about really making your point and here's why. Making the point, here's why. And I a lot of times in my studies, what I have found is we like things in sets of threes. So giving some points in sets of threes and then moving on with, you know, not overwhelming people with too much information is really important know your audience know your audience know your audience who are you talking to are you talking to other students are you talking to teachers are you talking to professionals who are you talking to and why exactly and why do they care you know yes the who cares is a huge thing that's how you get them at the beginning you know you have probably the first 30 seconds to get their attention or put them to sleep. And the way that you get people's attention early is to tell them why your computer code is so important. What problem is it solving? What's the big picture behind what you're trying to do? Is it going to help us 
clean the atmosphere? Is it going to help us uh, supply chain move faster? Whatever it is, these are things people know and understand and connect with. And they're like, oh, okay, now I'm interested because I care about the supply chain. I care about this next you know, device to do whatever. And behind all of it is computers. I mean, my dad's a yes. computer programmer and he was around with like C or whatever those codes were from like C plus Fortran, we had COBOL, there was some, all yeah, those he, things. Yes. He was, mm-hmm. he was around those days. So, I mean, this is at the foundation of everything we do. Um, and it's just a matter of, of making sure that people understand the why behind your work and connecting with your why is important and connecting with you. You know, I think sometimes people think of scientists or computer programmers or these as these sort of maybe unaccessible people, but we're people too. And you have a personality too. And showing that personality is a good thing, you know, because we're all human after all. I love it. If people would like to reach out to learn more about what your work is and or even to follow you on social media, how do they do that? Yeah, so I am on uh, Geeks That Speak is on Instagram. Um, my name, Karen Corbin, is on LinkedIn. You'll find Geeks That Speak Science on Facebook. You'll find um, Geeks That Speak on Twitter. So I'm out there. Feel free to, to follow. If you have a question, feel free to ask it. And um, I just encourage all the teachers to encourage the communication as a, as a part of these computer standards and, um, you know, to help their students uh, not fear the communication, because I know that's especially with younger kids and maybe not having as much uh, face-to-face communication, maybe having more communication on devices. I'm sure it's terrifying for them. It was terrifying for me at one point. So just encouraging them to try it and to practice and, and to realize that at the end of the day when you're up on the stage there's more people rooting for you than rooting against you and it's just a matter of putting yourself and your work out there i love it i've already i learned so much even just talking we could talk for so much longer but i really really appreciate you taking the time to be with us today to share your insights and here in north carolina i'm really proud of what we're doing and what we're putting together for students and elevating the conversation around computer science science mathematics technology so that kids can see that it isn't everything we do and it always comes back to building those relationships communicating loving the technical piece and then being able to share what what your passion is. So thank you all for joining us today on this episode. Please follow us on social media networks at IMCS. And if you liked what you heard, please subscribe to the show and you can find us on all of the podcast apps and share, share this with another educator if this has been helpful to you. Thank you again, Dr. Corbin, for being with us. And we look forward to seeing you all on the next episode of IMCS podcast. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.